Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I think Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday of the year. And I love Christmas and all that goes along with that, but it it might just be my love for food that lures me towards uh, Thanksgiving. That's a very real possibility. But even more so than that, I think Thanksgiving is even more important than ever because it's captured now and sometimes overlooked between Halloween and Christmas, that Thanksgiving gets left out. And isn't that kind of uh, unfortunate and a, a real portrayal of where we're at as a society. Give me candy and give me something, but we don't give thanks in the middle of it. Now, I'm not against candy and gifts. I like both of them. But in there has to be Thanksgiving. And so Thanksgiving was just always, and it still is, one of my favorite holidays. I'm excited this year. You know, my kids live in Virginia. Uh, rotten, miserable, stinking kids. Uh, they moved away. Uh, but they're coming back home. That awesome, that awesome. I, I can't help but think about God the Father uh, when someone receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, and God celebrates and says, "My children are coming home." Or someone like the prodigal has fallen away but has come back home, and God and all of eternity celebrates. We don't find the angels. Uh, I mean, they're worshiping the Lord, but they they celebrate when someone comes home. When someone comes home, so it's exciting. This is a story many of you have heard before, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, When Dory and I first started dating, I didn't go home for one of the Thanksgivings. I had Thanksgiving at her parents' house. And I was confronted with different uh, uh, traditions. Confronted is a big word. It wasn't that bad. It just the confronted came to my mind. I didn't have it written down. That's what happened. A little dramatic. Okay. I was exposed. Eh, exposed, not a good word for preachers. I was presented with a new way of thinking. Good. Kel, when you edit this video, just put presented. Cut out the rest of it. Anyway. So now listen, my mother-in-law is a cook on another level. My wife is an amazing cook, uh, just tremendous. My mother-in-law is a tremendous, tremendous cook. So it wasn't about the food uh, at all. But when I was growing up, we had Thanksgiving in courses. We would serve in courses. We would have a salad bar and soup, usually Italian wedding soup. Do you know what that is? If you know what that is, can you give me a glory to God? And if you don't know what Italian wedding soup is, you're just missing it. Can I speak to one of the Gentiles here in the church today? And I'm going to call him out by name. Kenny Williams is a good cook. He's a Gentile, but he's a good cook. He said, Pastor, I'm making Italian wedding soup. Can I bring you some? Ordinarily, I would say absolutely. But, you know, Italian wedding soup is semi-sacred. Okay? And I'm, listen, when you're the pastor, you can tell the story the way you want to tell the story. I'll tell the story the way I want to tell the story. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a try. And so he brings me a nice, nice amount of it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to be, I'm going to have an open mind and an open heart to this. And so I had it and I had it for lunch. And I said, 
this is tremendous. And didn't I, didn't I tell you that? I texted him and told him how great it was. He says, are you just teasing me? I said, no, honestly, I wouldn't go out of my way to say how great it was if it wasn't. I would say thank you and, you know, good effort, try again, something like that. <laughs> but just tremendous. So anyway, we would have Italian wedding soup, which is semi-sacred uh, to us. And then we would have bread, beautiful bread. And then what was the next course? Pasta, of course. Some kind of pasta, meatballs, pork, sausage, etc. Okay. And it was just tremendous. And we would have, my mom has a big dining room, mom and dad, and then we have a long living room and there'd be people everywhere and just eating and food and smells. And So I had brought some friends home from college when I was still in college because they couldn't get all the way home or whatever. And the one kid's just eating, man. He's just putting it away. And I'm, on the pasta, I'm like, dude, relax. This is just one step here. Uh, one step, also a Gentile. He was a good friend of mine, still is, but still a Gentile. Didn't have full understanding of our traditions. And then after all of the pasta, meatballs, pork, sausage, then would come the turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, green beans, whatever the vegetable was for that. Then that would all be cleared, and then came all the pies and dessert. And my one aunt was in charge of all the pies, and she would prepare for from the day after Thanksgiving one year till Thanksgiving the next year uh, to the glory of God. And then we would still be seated, seated at the table, and the real Italians would get this. Then we had mixed nuts. Does anybody remember that with the nutcrackers? And we would just sit there. It was nothing to sit there for hours, hours eating. Just a tremendous, tremendous experience. Um, and that, that's how I grew up. When I was presented with different traditions in Dory's family, they ate with all the food on the table at one time. Now, again, nothing about food was otherworldly, tremendous, but it was, it was different. They didn't do all of the courses like we did, although they had uh, tons of food. So when Dora and I got married, and specifically when we had children, we had to decide for our family what we were going to do. Were we going to go with how I grew up with courses, or were we going to go with how Dory grew up with you put everything on the table at once? Any men out there want to tell me which direction we went? Still married 31 years last week. My wife's a good sport because she <laughs> she's got to hear all this. Some of it's true, some of it's not. Some of it's, there might be some hyperbole in there, maybe. Anyway, so now we eat all at one time and it's wonderful and I'm looking forward to it this year. But anyway, so this, this first year of being expo uh, confront, uh, presented my mother-in-law calls me, and she says, hey, Rand, can you bring the pasta? I'm like, holy cow, she's asking me to bring the main course? See, I didn't know. You're bringing the main course. So I make five pounds of baked tortellini. I walk in carrying this thing with a forklift. <laughs> they looked at me like I had three heads. What are you doing? I didn't realize for them pasta was only a side dish. And I didn't realize till about five years ago that they probably wouldn't have even had pasta if not for me. But it was different. It was different. It was a complete different tradition. 
Here's the takeaway, though. That no matter what the courses were, we ate all at once, no matter what the food was, no matter what the main course was, whether I was at the Sabellas or the Zelinskis, we always stopped and gave thanks. We always stopped and gave thanks. Now, my in-laws are godly, wonderful people, and I mean that sincerely. They live in Washington State. They're very involved in their Assembly of God, very involved in their Assembly of God Church, wonderful people, and they understood as well as my family understood that whatever we had, it's because God gave it to us. If he gave us the strength to work and a job to earn money, to be able to go to the grocery store, to pay for the food that was in front of us, it was still from his hand. And so no matter what tradition it was, we gave thanks. And no matter what your tradition is for Thanksgiving, stop and give thanks. And and I'm going to challenge you to do something, not to be rude, not to be rude or anything like that. But if you're not the host or hostess, maybe if it's not part of the tradition, just off to the side, say, hey, would you mind if I gave thanks before we eat? And you know what? If they give you that opportunity, you don't have to preach a sermon. Just tell them something you're thankful for. Because you know what I've found? That what we take for granted as church people is rare out in the world. Generosity. Gratefulness. Instead, what we are, and I will use this word seriously, confronted with out in the world is grumbling, complaining, not thankful for anything, stingy, cheap, miserable. So when we just live the life that God wants us to live, it's like a light shining. And listen, I'm not telling you to cause problems for your family, although it would be easier buying Christmas gifts if you do. But maybe stop and give thanks. Stop and give thanks. Uh, We love to give thanks. And the scripture that Pastor Rick shared, and then I'm going to add one to it, is our theme for today. And it's Psalm 107, 8, and 9. Let them give thanks to the Lord. And listen, if you're a, a, a preacher or a teacher, this writes itself, okay? So just watch. Let them give thanks. That's what we're doing. Why? Four things. To the Lord for his unfailing love. Number two, for his wonderful deeds for mankind. Number three, I don't know if this is up there, verse nine. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. That's it. That's our four points today. There's always something to give thanks for. A preacher needed his, he had saved up his money to buy a new pair of slacks for for church. And he got them. He spent a little bit more than he ordinarily would um, but as, as a, a typical man, they got wrinkled, and he needed them uh, ironed on Sunday morning before he went to church. And so his wife was ironing the pants, and, and she uh, looked away or got distracted by one of the kids and left the iron on the pants and burnt the pants, burnt the pants. So he started getting angry. You know, he's getting ready for church, got to preach. Uh, people are going to be there wondering how hot is it, how cold is it at the church. I mean, he had a lot to deal with. Uh, That morning, he didn't need his pants to be burnt. So the husband started getting mad, but before he spoke out, he said, you know what, there's got to be something in here to be thankful for. And so he stopped and he said a little prayer. He said, Lord, I want to thank you that my leg wasn't in those pants (laughs) this time, 
this time. There's always something to be thankful for. Give thanks for his unfailing love. Give thanks for his wonderful deeds. Give thanks for he satisfies the thirsty. Give thanks for he fills the hungry with good things. First, give thanks. I love the phrasing of Scripture for his unfailing love. Give thanks. Now, this passage here in Psalm 107 is talking to the Israelites, and, and the, the psalmist wants them to remember God through the wilderness wanderings, okay? Through those 40 years, he's reminding them of God's provision throughout their history. Now, in the wilderness, they were in the wilderness in the first place. They were delivered from Egypt so that they could go to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But because of their grumbling and complaining, you see that? They ended up spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But even though they faced the consequences of their choices, God never stopped loving them. Catch that. Even though sometimes we live the consequences of our choices, God never stops loving us. And when I mean never, I mean never. So here they were wandering about complaining. The first time they got hungry, or we would say in our day hangry, they said, we want to go back to Egypt. They would rather go back and live as slaves oppressed by an evil ruler and culture and kingdom, then follow God. So they grumbled and complained all the more. At one point, they tried to overthrow God's man, Moses, because they didn't like where he was leading them. For 40 years, they wandered because of their choices, but God never stopped loving them. Can we give thanks this morning and tomorrow and the next day because God never stops loving me? That doesn't mean you don't go through difficult times. Some of you are facing them now. But know, even if you don't know anything else about what's going on in your life, know that God loves you. And he loves you completely. He holds nothing back. He doesn't love you 50%, 75%. He's not waiting till tomorrow to see how you're going to behave. He loves you 100% right now and for all eternity. Even in our wilderness wanderings, God loves us. Paul knew it in chapter 8. And who went through harsher times than Paul? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And he is also interceding for us. Jesus, what's he doing now? Building his church and praying for his children. I'll take that prayer. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul lists everything he can think of. The question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Nope. Had Paul seen trouble? Yes. Shall hardship? Yes. Hardship, famine, nakedness, or danger or sword. Paul had faced all of those things, and yet he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. He gave thanks for the unfailing love of God. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Paul endured, persevered, triumphed because of Christ's love. For I'm convinced that neither life, uh, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, anything he could think of, the parameters being infinity, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We thank him secondly for his wonderful deeds to all mankind. To all mankind. Think of the sun, where would we be without the sun? The moon, where would we be without the moon? The stars, the trees, the trees, the oceans, the beauty that's all around us, the breath that we have. All of that God has given to all mankind. Even outside of the kingdom of God, people have something to be thankful for. We can be thankful that at Adam and Eve, God didn't destroy everything and say, I'm done with this whole idea of humanity. Instead, he had a plan of salvation for us all. We would call this love for all humanity and his great deeds for all humanity, we would call it common grace. It's the grace that God bestows on every human being. Everyone, okay? Not just the grace of salvation, but all. Psalm 145, 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Jesus said that God causes the sun to rise, excuse me, to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the what? And the unrighteous. See, that's common grace. That's God's love. That's his deeds for all mankind. In Luke 6.35, it says, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. God's still kind to those that refuse to recognize him. He's so kind, and maybe this is a little, little harsh, but he, just, he still allows them to live because he would that none should perish. You know, sin deserves death, Ezekiel 18. Sin brings death, and so sin... We deserve to die. He gives us life because he would that none should perish, even those that won't recognize him, even those that are ungrateful and wicked. That's grace to all mankind, common grace. Paul and Barnabas said it like this in Acts 14. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. We can give thanks to God secondly for all of the grace all of the love that he shows to all mankind. Thirdly, we give thanks to God for he satisfies the thirsty. He satisfies the thirsty. Remember, in, if we go back to their wanderings for 40 years in the desert, they grew thirsty. Now, they, they estimate that they, uh, there were maybe in the neighborhood of a million Israelites that crossed over through the Red Sea and all of the miracles that happened. Can you imagine how much water was needed for the, just the people, the livestock, and everything included in that. But God provided for them the water from a rock, quenched their thirst. Maybe you're ahead of me already, but spiritually there's water from the rock that quenches our spiritual thirst. Isn't that awesome? Jesus spoke this in John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a picture of what was happening with the rock river? It had to be a river of water for all of them to drink. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. So now we've been refreshed and then we refresh others. How is this possible? By this he meant by the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Who is the water that quenches our spiritual thirst? It's Jesus. We were to look at the different things that people try to do to quench their thirst. If we were to look at people in love and not judgment for those outside of the kingdom, here's what I want you to, they're just thirsting for something more. We look at decisions, we say, why are they doing it? It's because they're thirsty. But they just try to, to have that quenched through many different means, alcohol, uh, drugs, illicit relationships, uh, uh, stealing, Workaholic, workaholicismism, whatever. Kelly can edit that too. <laughs> but they try to quench their thirst. That's really all it is. They're thirsty. But Jesus is the answer to that thirst. And look how the Bible ends. First in Revelation 21, second to last uh, 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 chapter in the whole Bible, he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. God's culmination is he's going to give water to anyone that comes to him and thirsts. Then the last chapter towards the last scriptures in all of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty, let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. We can give thanks to God for his unfailing love, for his love to all mankind. And we give thanks to God that he quenches our greatest thirst, which is not natural, but spiritual, that through Jesus Christ he is the water of life. Why is it, and some of you know this, you used to live a certain way and you had certain habits, but when you accepted Christ, you stopped doing that because you recognized that those old habits couldn't meet the need, but now you found someone that could meet the need and you just don't need those things anymore because you found something greater. I was talking with someone uh, this week, last week, whatever. Dear friends of ours from our last church, uh, before we, we got here, and they're still good friends of ours. We were doing some sort of child evangelism, and we lived um, near Plainfield, New Jersey. We lived right above Plainfield, if you know that area. 78, 22, we lived on 22. And we were doing puppets and some kind of clowns and whatever the child evangelism event was, and cleaning up and everything. And, and uh, I was riding with this guy, and his name's Barry. And he's still at that church, still a leader in that church. He got saved during our time there, just miraculous. So anyway, where we lived was up a hill in an apartment complex, and there was a, a, a white castle at the bottom of the hill. Have you ever had white castle? Do you love white castle? I love white castle. I love white castle. Oh, wait, wait, parenthesis, sorry, I'm almost done. We have a, a, a leader in our 
district office. He's the, the, the head, he's the secretary of the Assemblies of God for the state of New Jersey. His name's Frank. Never had White Castle. He was traveling with the superintendent and one of the other district officials, and they said, hey, let's stop at White Castle one night after a meeting. Let's stop at White Castle and get some, some burgers. Frank's sitting in the back. He's like, sounds good to me. They said, well, how many do you want? He goes, well, I'll just have one. I'm not really hungry. White Castle. White Castle. So he listens to them ordering. They're ordering six, eight. He's like, what in the world's going on? So they get it, and they get in the bag and pull it out, and they hand him his little white castle. So he sat in the back like a rabbit and ate it like <laughs> So Barry, Barry says, let's stop at White Castle. And I said, Barry, I'm so sorry, but I don't, I don't have any money on me. And here's what he said. This was 25 years ago. He said, Pastor, I've given up so many bad habits, I always have money now. See, he was thirsty. He came to Jesus, and he wasn't thirsty anymore. See? Barry and Mary. Awesome. All right. We give thanks. Last one. We give thanks that he fills the hungry with good things. First of all, let's just give thanks for food. Glory to God. While the Israelites were wandering, they got hungry, and Jesus miracul- or God, yeah, God miraculously provided for them. He provided bread that we call what? Manna, right? But more importantly, he provides spiritual food for us. And so you recognize that throughout, well, uh, in John chapter 6, 7, and 8, that everything that God did for the Israelites, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Just watch real quickly. They needed bread. In John 6, he's the bread of life, which I'm going to show you. John 7, they needed water. Jesus is the water of life. They needed light to guide them. Chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. See? So Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they needed in their wanderings, and he's the fulfillment of everything that we need in our wanderings. So the manna, and you'd have to read John chapter 6. You'll see it very clearly if you read the whole chapter. You'll have to see that what Jesus was doing by multiplying the loaves and the fishes, he's saying, I'm the bread of life, and there's plenty to go around. You remember that old song, there's room at the cross for you, though millions have come, there's still room for one? Why is that true? Because there's plenty of Jesus to go around for all those that are hungering for something more than what this world offers. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He's teaching the thousands of people, and then he declares this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want to give thanks for physical food, but more importantly, I want to give thanks for spiritual food that is Jesus, and that Jesus gives us through his word. Watch how that works. Have you ever read scripture, and something inside of you just goes, whoa. And you can almost almost feel your spirit being fed. That's it. That's what we're looking for. Have you ever read something that just tears you down and and makes you fearful and, and scared and all of that? That's the opposite of what God provides. So my recommendation as your pastor, stop with some media 
and start with the ministry of Jesus Christ. One will deplete you and one will fill you. And we have access to both. It's your choice of what you're going to do. That's what the Bible can do. We have so much to be thankful for. We give thanks first for his unfailing love. Amen? We give thanks for his wonderful deeds to mankind. Amen? We give thanks that he satisfies the thirsty. Amen? Amen. We give thanks that he fills the hungry with good things. Amen? Take time to give thanks today. We're going to do that in just a moment through communion. But thank him tomorrow too. Thank him tomorrow. Thank him the next day. And the day after that. And the day after that. And for all eternity. And something happens inside of us that changes everything when we become people of thanksgiving and gratitude. And I think God can use just that simple thing as a witness to so many others to just give thanks to God because everything we have is given from his hand and given for him. All right. Our friends... I'll close this, John, this part. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.